church experience online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our church experience worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Well, hey, Church Experience family, it is so good to be together. Whether you are meeting in person with us or you are watching online, I'm just so grateful that we can gather together as a united church. One church family, many experiences. So glad you're here as we begin this new teaching series. It's called Next. And we're going to talk about what God wants to do next in our church, in your life. So excited as we go back to where the church began so we can look ahead to see where the church is going in the future. Well, before we get into that, I just got to say, I know not everyone is able to gather together again quite yet. I was talking to a family in our church just recently, and their, their whole extended family, they, they all get together in a living room, and they watch the church experience service uh, together online at the same time. And, and some of the members of that family are kind of in a vulnerable group and, and can't quite gather together yet with people publicly. And so we're just so grateful that you can gather wherever you are, however you're gathering. I was talking to another woman recently who, because she's had a stroke recently, she didn't feel quite comfortable yet going out in crowds, and so they're able to watch online. And, and that's great. And so when you are ready, when you feel comfortable, come on back. How do you know when it's time that you should come back to church? Well, here's, here's one way that you should know is if you're out <laughs> snapping selfies at a local restaurant or you're out shopping or with a bunch of people at the beach, it's probably time that you should come back to church service. I'm just saying, okay? But hey, either way, we're just so grateful that you're following along with us as we begin this teaching series today. And, and I got to tell you, I'm excited. It's been 18 years, 18 years that Jennifer and I have been together now. We've had an anniversary this summer, and that's a, that's a long time, and I'm so grateful for that time together, and I look forward, God willing, to many more years ahead. But as I look back, I, I see all that, that I've watched God do through my wife, Jennifer. Even since she was young, before I met her, when she was in middle school, she started reading God's Word every day, and she would try to spend an hour a day with God. In high school, she was a homecoming queen of a really big Christian high school in San Diego, in college, I got to watch her on campus leading Bible studies, and she was a, a leader on campus for, for many, many students. And, and then, then I saw that as we got married, and she was rocking out that career girl thing, and she was just doing a great job in her career and being newly married, and she was just, she was amazing at what she did. And then she, she did the, the mom thing, and now she's rocking the mom thing with four kids. And, and just watching her through the different seasons now as a leader and pastor, as she's mentored and advised hundreds of people literally over the years. And, and many of you know she's a rock star interior designer and graphic designer. And I'm, I'm just blown away by this girl. She is amazing. And the thing that I love is that she just keeps getting better and better with time. Like she's always learning. She's always growing. I mean, she's amazing. And, and nobody's perfect. 
but she's perfect. <laughs> she's my girl. She's my wife, and I love my wife. And I love to see other guys love their wives because, you know, it's actually commanded in the Bible. Now, we're not talking about marriage today, but I have to start with marriage because i got to go to this verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Now, let me just pause there for a second because this relates to where we're going, but it says to love your wives. Listen to them. Encourage them. Empower them, support them, pray with them, pray for them. Take good care of them. Husbands, listen, listen, husbands, love your wives. And I can just picture a few of you women there just kind of elbowing the man next to you right now that you've been married to. Hey, love your wife. God said, love your wife. But I love this verse. It's so interesting to me because it goes on. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See, marriage is honored by God. It was created by God, a man and a woman, to come together as companions for life. And it's an example, an analogy of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for the church because he loved the church that much. He gave his life for the church. And there's nothing like a church. There's nothing quite like a church. A church is, when it's healthy, it's dynamic, it's vibrant, it's busy about God's kingdom work. See, see Jesus loves the church. He cares about the church. And, and the church is such a beautiful bride. It's where people find family to belong to, both here on earth and in an eternal family. It's where people find hope, no matter how hopeless they are. The church is amazing because people who are purposeless find vision for God, and they find vision for his work here on earth. When a church is working right, the poor are helped as compassion is unleashed, and kingdom initiatives are expanded throughout the world. And people are, who are discouraged get encouraged by being a part of a church. People who are captive to sin and addictions find freedom and healing as a part of a church. For those who have broken marriages or fractured friendships, they see the power of God to transform, to renew, and to restore relationships. And forgiveness floods those relationships through Jesus. In a church that's, that's healthy and vibrant, the spiritually lost are found. And people who are, are captive to sin and struggling to sin, they are set free. Those who are in need of all sorts of healing find healing in God and amazing friendships are formed with God and with other people. Local churches are the epicenter of God's kingdom work here on earth. The local church is God's plan for redeeming the world. It's, it's, it's how the message of Jesus gets out to the world and it's, it's his sustainable plan for developing and growing and discipling believers. In fact, every Christian nonprofit every Christian ministry, every, every Christian establishment or organization, as they do their thing and people are saved and brought to Jesus, they send them to a local church in some way, shape, or form so that that, that individual who gives their life to Jesus through their work, they can worship and they can connect and they can serve and they can grow. See, Jesus gave himself for the church. He loves the church. It's his bride. And it says in Matthew 16, 18, it says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. See, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself. And he established the church. And he said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. A global virus won't prevail against it. No, no forces coming against the church will prevail against it because the church is eternal. It's the bride of Christ. And it's beautiful when it's working. Ever since we moved into our house almost six years ago, there was a pre-foreclosure when we found it. Need a lot of work, but we moved in and we're so grateful to have a home, and we, ever since we moved in, we've had a number of projects we want to do, and slowly over the years, we've accomplished a lot of those, but there's one that we hadn't accomplished until this year that I really wanted to accomplish, and that's, I wanted to get irrigation. I wanted to get sprinklers in our yard because I, I wanted to improve the quality of our grass, and I, I just knew I couldn't do that around the, year round without sprinklers, and, and, and I'd see a couple sprinkler heads here and there throughout the yard. I'd in fact, I busted a couple of pipes when I was digging the garden out when we first moved in. So I knew that there had been at one point many, many years ago an irrigation system that had been installed, but it had been neglected. I couldn't even find the control panel. I think it had been cut, unplugged, taken when a previous owner had moved out. But I knew that one day I wanted to give some attention to it. But in my mind, it was a, it was a big financial mountain. I thought, okay, it's going to be very expensive to get someone in here and redig these trenches, find all the areas that are broken and put new sprinkler heads in and get a control center and all this. I just thought it was going to be a big project. So I, I kind of delayed it and focused on other priorities around the house. Well, I came across someone who said they would come take a look at it. And as the owner of a, a local irrigation company, he said, come take a look and just see what the condition was and give me an estimate. So he came over the other day and he went over on the side of my house. And, and right underneath where I keep my, my trash bin, uh, he, he pulled my trash bin away. And there's a little box there in the ground. And he pulled the lid off that box, and he reached down in there, and there were some levers. I'd never really looked in that, that box before, <laughs> seriously. And, and, and he turned a couple of these levers. And as he started turning on levers, it was crazy. These sprinkler heads that had been neglected for years. I mean, I've lived there for almost six years, and who knows how many years beforehand. They started popping up in the, out of the ground one zone at a time. And they started, they started watering my yard. And I was, like, blown away. I'm like, are you kidding me? All these years, like, all I needed to do was just turn on that lever. And sure enough, like zone by zone, the, the sprinkler system was working around our home. I was shocked. It needed a little work, but for a very minimal amount of money, he was able to get it up and going again. And I, I was shocked because the very thing that I wanted, my problem, my, my, my need, my desire, it was there under the ground all the time. It, it was just buried. It just, it just needed to be polished up and put back in working order. What does our world need right now? We, we see so many problems and issues and challenges. What is it that our world really needs? Man, it's, it's right there in front of us. It's right under us. It's, it's, it's the local church. It's churches centered on Jesus Christ to, to rise up and share the life-giving love of Jesus Christ with our world, to spread it around. That's, that's the answer. That's the solution. We need more churches. We need more kingdom initiatives, more new churches, and churches that are existing to get healthy and to grow. We need to see the church of Jesus Christ really rise up in this time. In a very dark time in human history, we need the light of Christ to shine brightly. I mean, it's so beautiful when you see a, a well-watered yard, and it's green, and it's fresh, and it's vibrant. And the same is true with a church. When that, the water, the living water of Christ starts to flow, it changes lives. In fact, John 4, verse 14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
This living water that Jesus speaks of is what's available through the church. Jesus uses the delivery system of his bride, the church, what he loves, what he gave his life for, to deliver the living water to our world. The church is you and I. It's, it's a gathering of people. And we together, the ecclesia, the gathered group of believers, we deliver the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world and bring that living water that changes and beautifies and transforms lives. Well, Jesus and his church are the solution to our world's greatest problems. And the, and the Bible doesn't divorce Jesus from his bride. Some people say things like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't like the church. Or I've given up on the church. I just do my own thing for church. The Bible never gives us that option. The church is the bride. That's like you walking up to a couple that's in love and walking hand in hand. And, and you say, well, man, I really like you. I'd like to be friends with you, but I, I just can't stand your bride. How insulting is that? How frustrating would that be? And Jesus is that groom, and the church is his bride. The church is his beautiful, magnificent, amazing bride that he cares about and that he loves and gave his life for. And the church is his plan to redeem the world. It's, it's the message of Christ, the gospel delivered through the local church. See, we, we are the church, so we are God's plan for the redemption of the world, the message of Jesus Christ delivered through his people. And, and, and make no mistake about it, Jesus is the only one who can save. The church by itself can't save. You and I can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save. But Jesus married the idea of him, him the message of life, the gospel, to the church. And he literally used that analogy of a marriage, something that's meant to be permanent. And, and he says, I will work through you to be the light of the world. So you, believer, listen, you are the light of the world. You are God's plan of redemption for the world. It's only that Jesus that saves, but that message of Christ, that hope of Christ is going to come through you and I, through God's church. We are the plan that God has to redeem and change the world through the message of Christ. So what's next? What's next for the church? What's needed? Well, that's what we're going over these next weeks as we talk about the power and the beauty of the church and all God has planned for the church and all the ways that God wants to use his church. How can we be used in the days ahead? How can you and I find our purpose? How can our church find a greater purpose and see what's next? Well, that's where we're going as we together in the weeks ahead talk about the power of the church when it's unleashed and when it's healthy and when it's vibrant. Right on? Right on. So, where do we go next? Where, where, where do we start if we're talking about the church? And what I'd like to do for the remainder of this message here in Acts chapter 1, I'd like to, to begin with where the church itself began. After Jesus commissioned the local church and he sent them out, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, you see what the believers first did. Jesus was crucified, he was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says, after he, Jesus, had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go up into heaven. So Jesus ascends up into heaven, they're standing around like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> the angel says, hey, why are you still standing here? He gave you a mission. Let's, let's go. <laughs> and then notice what they first do, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath, a Sabbath day walk from the city. 
When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It says in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. What was the first thing the early church did as Jesus commissioned them to go out into the world and to make disciples, to baptize people, to build the church? What was the first thing that they did? Well, they went and they prayed together. They prayed. Where did they start? They started in prayer. So if we want to know what's next for God's church, we got to look back and see how the church began and what they did at first. And the first thing that they did literally is they went and they prayed together. And and if you're taking notes today, maybe you want to write this down. Prayer precedes the next powerful move of God. Prayer precedes the next powerful move of God. I was talking recently to Kevin Queen, the pastor of Cross Point Church in Nashville, a friend of mine, and someone I, I look to as a, a great example in ministry. And, and Kevin told me, he says, we do more than pray, but we don't do anything before we pray. And I love that. We, we do more than pray. There's a lot of other things we got to go and do, but we don't do anything before we pray. And it seems to me like that was the heart of the early church. They were going to go see God do amazing miracles through them. They were going to go preach and disciple and start churches. There was so much for them to go and do, but what did they do first? What did they do first? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed first. Maybe you just want to write that phrase down. I titled the message that way today. Pray first. Pray first. Pray now before God's next. And some of us are saying, well, God, what do you want to do next in my life? Well, pray first. Pray first. How do you want to use me next? God, I want to do more for you. I want to see you work in a greater way in our church and in our city. I want to see you work more in my family. Well, pray first. Ian Bounds in Power Through Prayer says, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. It's not a new method that the church needs. It's not... It's not a new trick or a new tool or a new piece of technology. All those things God can use, but what God really needs, what he really wants, is for men and women to say, I'm going to go on my face before God, and I'm going to really pray and believe and trust that God can move through prayer to move mountains. You know what completely change our church? You know what completely change our families, our neighborhoods, our city? If, if a few dozen of us started really committing ourselves to prayer, intentional, focused, passion-filled prayer. Genuinely, from deep inside us, we say, God, please, we're begging you, move, change lives, transform people. God, change our world, change our city. God, change our state. If we start begging God and praying genuinely, God can move mountains through prayer. But you know what's amazing? I said dozens. God doesn't even need dozens to do miracles. In fact, it tells us in a a well-known, well-loved, and classic passage in the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person, one person, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Everybody say powerful. Come on, it's powerful and effective. It says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
See, this, this passage, I love it because it says one righteous person praying heartfelt, passionate prayers before the Lord can move mountains. God can move the mountains through your prayers. And how I put it this way, if you want to write it down in your notes, is that real prayer is really powerful. Simple statement, but it's life-changing. Real prayer is really powerful. Real prayer for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for your church, your community. Real prayer is really, really powerful. I've, I've seen God do amazing things through answer to prayer. Things I could not have done that only God could do. It's amazing what God can do. I, I remember us as a church praying over and over, God, give us a building. God, we don't know where to go. We're, we're in a school. We're in a hotel. God, please, we need a building. And we looked. We did our own work knocking on 30 doors at least. We're calling up places saying, hey, can we rent your building? Can we lease your space? And we could never find the right space that we could afford. We couldn't find a, the right space we could get into. And you know what? That whole time, as we kept laboring in prayer and we kept being faithful to serve the Lord, he had a plan in store for us, a whole building that he was going to give to us to manage for him. It's amazing what God can do when you pray. And real prayer is really powerful. And what do I mean by real prayer? Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 12. It says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So real prayer is, is heartfelt, it's genuine, it's your whole heart praying to God, saying, God, please, here is my prayer and my petition. I, I'm praying and seeking you with everything I've got. So it's not, a, it's not a casual religious ritual. It's not just mouthing the words. It's with everything you've got, sincerely, genuinely praying. And, and, here, and here's how I put it if you're writing this down. There's a huge difference be, between praying a routine prayer and seeking God with all your heart. Seeking God with all your heart. With everything that you've got. A story that I love, it's a classic story, story of Socrates. You may have heard this before. But I love this story. It represents this so well. It's a man that came up to Socrates who is well known for his wisdom. And he says, Socrates, I would like to have wisdom like you have wisdom. How do I get it? And he says, son, follow me. And they walked down to a local pond, and the young man was a little puzzled that he didn't verbally give him an answer, instead said to follow me. And, and he was even more puzzled as Socrates walked out into that pond, about waist high. And the young man reluctantly followed him, wondering what is going on. The man coming really close face to face with this young man, Socrates says, what is it that you wanted? And that young man said, wisdom, I, I want to know how to be wise. So Socrates grabbed him by the back of the neck and dunked him underwater, held him under for 5, 10, 15 seconds, finally let him up. The young man was shocked, surprised, a little angry, like, what just happened? And, and, and he said, what are you, what are you doing? And, and Socrates very calmly looks back at him, and he says, with his hand still on his neck, what was it that you wanted? This time, the young man's not sure he wants to answer. <laughs> but he says, almost as if it was a question, wisdom? <laughs> Socrates again dunks him unexpectedly underwater, holds him under 10, 20, 30 seconds, finally lets him up. This time he's gasping for air, taking a step back from this crazy man, and, and he's gathering himself, and Socrates comes up close to him, puts his arm on his neck again. He says, what was it that you wanted? And, and the young man, trying to pull himself away, can't get free, but he says, I, I wanted wisdom. I want to be dunked. I wanted wisdom. And Socrates one more time dunks him underwater. 30, 45 seconds, this young man finally knocks 
Socrates' arm off the back of his neck, fights to the surface of the water, takes a step back, takes a deep breath, and he's frustrated. What is happening? Socrates looks him dead in the eye, and he says, when you want wisdom, like you want that breath of air, you will get it, and without my help. He says, when you want it bad enough, when you really want it, so bad that you can taste it, that you, that you know that this is the right answer, you'll find it, you'll get it. And here's what I'm saying. When it's not just a trivial thing that you do because it's a part of your daily pattern, but it's something that you can't live without. Like, I gotta get alone with God. I've gotta pray because prayer is powerful. And prayer is where I connect with my Father. And prayer is where I come into the presence of the living God. When, when that's what prayer is for you, it's something that you have to do. That's when prayer becomes powerful. That's when prayer changes your family and prayer changes your life and prayer changes your church and prayer changes your workplace. But it's not until you really seek God with all of your heart. And when you want God like that and you want his presence and his power like that, you'll find it. You'll find a way to get alone with God. If there's one thing I'm going to do today, it's get alone with God. I'm going to pray and get in his word and I'm going to spend time with him. Do you want the presence of God that bad in your life? Or have you drifted into cold and lifeless and life-taking religion? See, God never came to establish religion. He came to establish a personal relationship with him that changes our lives. So what is prayer? Brandon, what is prayer? If prayer first is what matters, if that's what's next for the church, is we have to begin by prayer. If that's the first thing the church did, they prayed. How do I pray? What is prayer? I think it's essentially two things. Let's make it real simple. It's just two things. I'm going to give them both to you, and we're going to explain them briefly. One is prayer is walking with God, and two, prayer is working with God. To jot that down, prayer is walking with God, and prayer is working with God, laboring with God. So it's walking with God. It's experiencing the joy of his presence. There's nothing like the joy of God's presence. We find eternal pleasure in, in his presence forevermore. There's nothing like the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. There's, there's nothing like it. Walking with God side by side, experiencing his love in your heart and your life, knowing him, walking with him as a friend, as a father, revering him as a great king and Lord over all. I mean, this is, this is the great joy of being a believer, the companionship of a father. It's not just receiving blessings from God and, and having requests being answered that we ask for in prayer. No, it's, it's experiencing the presence of God walking with him. Walking with him as you wake in the morning and take your first steps. Walking with him into your workplace or your school. Walking with him through your neighborhood. Spending time walking with God, literally physically, but also throughout your day. Literally experiencing the presence of God as you walk with him. And two, it's, it's working with God. It's working with God. It's the work of prayer that we're called to. In Ephesians 6, 18, it says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So we pray for each other on all occasions. We always keep on praying, it says, and we pray for each other. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, rejoice always. Pray what? Pray continually. 
give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the work of prayer is to be continual. It's a regular, ongoing part of our life. We pray first. We pray last and everywhere in between. It's how we begin our day, end our day, and it's, it should fill our day. It needs to be an ongoing part of our life. And as Ian Bounds said, to be little with God is to be little for God. You'll experience less power of God in your life if you spend less time in God's presence in your life. Are you experiencing the presence and power of God daily, moment by moment? Now all of us could lean in more and spend more time with God and more time in his presence. It's not to make you feel bad or guilty like I need to do more. It's not a religious got to. This is an amazing get to. It's a relational invitation. God is saying, hey, there's more for you, and I am that more. God is saying, I got more for you, and I'm that more. If you'll come into my presence, I have more power for you, more provision for you, more joy and peace for you, but you have got to seek me with more of your heart. More. He has more. And if you spend less time with him, you'll experience less. The problem is not, I don't think that, that we don't get that, that we don't, we don't want to. Can make an argument that we don't really truly believe it because our beliefs fuel our actions. But I think, I think most of us would say, I, I intellectually agree with what you're saying, Brandon. I believe God's word. I believe that prayer matters, but I just have a hard time actually doing it. Why? And if I asked you, I think you would say, I'm, I'm, I'm. You'd use this word. I'm distracted. I'm distracted because it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's, distractions are abundant. One of my friends, Pastor Matt Leroy. Pastors love Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And uh, he was doing a message outside, you know, it's COVID season and he's doing something creative and he's preaching. And, and he was, because he was outside of nature, he had a little friend that joined him while he was preaching. But the amazing ability that he had to not be distracted from God's word in this moment, it blows me away. Check this out. Pulling apart and this thread that he's been pulling on through the entire letter. Listen to what he says right there in the first couple verses. He says, I love and long for you. I love and long for you. And so in chapter one, we get this theme of his affection for these people in Christ Jesus. And he says that he longs to be with them again. He's writing to them from prison, uh, which you can feel in his writing. says is he calls them his crown my joy and crown and so that's an echo back to the chapter how distracting right could you have done that could you have kept preaching could you have kept teaching when this ant is climbing all over your neck and all over your body man he just kept his focus he said I'm not gonna get distracted what if we had the same kind of tenacity and focus in our lives? And we said I'm not gonna get distracted no matter what distractions come my way I'm gonna stay disciplined 
Because you're going to choose one of two things this week. You're going to choose discipline or you're going to choose distraction. And there's a whole lot of distractions in the world these days. But if you'll discipline yourself to seek God with all your heart, you'll see God do more in your life than a thousand distractions will ever deliver. But when you discipline yourself to seek God, there's such power. See, I put it this way in your teaching notes. I daily choose between distractions and disciplines. Daily. I'm daily choosing between distractions and disciplines. I want to encourage you to set the discipline of a daily meeting with God. A daily meeting. Just like you would call up a good friend that you haven't seen in a long time and say, hey, can we meet together? Or, or perhaps a, a recurring a meeting with, with somebody that you care about, that you meet with often, and say, hey, I'm looking forward to next Tuesday at noon, that lunch that we always have together. And you're going to be on time, you're going to show up ready to go, and you're going to look forward to that time with somebody you love. In the same way, I believe that we should set a daily time with God. And I think we should experience his presence all day long, but, but I would contend, and I would encourage you to set a time somewhere in your day where you get alone with God, and I'm going to explain to you what that looks like briefly, but, but I want to encourage you to set a time, set a meeting, because things change in meetings, and things change in conversations. You know, this, this last week, we had a, a couple in from out of town, Brandon and Cassie Hughes, and they were interviewing to be our new campus pastors, our new lead pastors for Wesley Chapel Church Experience, and we're so excited that they said yes, and God's leading them in that direction. They'll be here toward the end of September, and you'll get to meet them. We're so excited about what God does through Church Experience Wesley Chapel with, with Brandon leading as a lead pastor there. I'm so excited. And, and, but you know what? We sit down with them multiple times in multiple interviews, multiple conversations, knowing that the outcome of, of that meeting, that conversation, determined in many ways future direction, future decisions, future impact. Because there was important things happening at that table. And in the same way, when you, when you get alone with God and you have a conversation with him, there's important things happening in that conversation. And the outcome of that conversation can change things in your future. God, God can move you in, in directions in your life that, that bring new outcomes, that bring results, that bring provision, that bring transformation. See, I want to encourage you to set a meeting with God every day. And I want to encourage you to do four things as you daily meet with God. Perhaps you want to jot these down in the margin of your notes. One, I want to encourage you every day to tell God what's going on in your life and just listen to him. Just, just tell him what's going on. Say, God, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. And then just spend time listening. Maybe for you that looks like putting on some worship music and just worshiping and just, just listening. Maybe just being quiet. You know, the Bible says be still and know that I'm God. Just, just listen. Say, God, speak. And you may not hear an audible voice of God, but just that, that, that sense of his presence in your spirit. Just being still and experiencing his peace. Number one, just tell God what's going on and listen. Number two, I think there's some things that you're going to want to pray for every day. Every day. For me, I, I pray for my family, each member of my family by name every single day. And I pray for our church family every day and my extended family every day. I, I pray for some of our, our leaders and, and overseers and, and things like that. I, I have some, some things that I specifically pray for diligently every single day without fail. And then, and then three, there's going to be some things that you're going to want to pray for every week. Because you can't pray for every single thing in your life or every single person in your life every single day. But there's going to be some things that you want to pray for every week. 
And I just have a rhythm, you know, certain days of the week. And maybe you don't need to get this organized, but for me, I, I know on certain days, there's, there's certain things I'm going to be praying for. I have a little prayer list for some people in my life say, can you pray for me? And on those days, I'm, I'm praying for those, those people on those set-aside days. And on other days of the week, I'm praying certain things. Uh, our family has certain requests and prayers and, that we're asking God about, and I'll pray for those specific things. Or, or things for our church on certain days, certain specific things. But, but there's certain things that you want to pray for every week or on a regular basis. And number four, I want to encourage you to have prayer partners that you pray together with and for on a regular basis. So blessed to have some prayer partners in my life. And, and I, I daily pray for them, and I know they're praying for me, and they're praying for you because I've asked them to pray for not only my, my personal family, but I've asked them to pray for our church family. And so they're prayer partners. And by the way, I want to invite you to be a prayer partner because I'm praying for you every day, and I'd ask you to pray for me and pray for the leaders of our church and pray for our church family that he gives wisdom and direction. But then also, as a part of that time, I want to encourage you to get in God's word and listen to his word and let his word lead you and guide you. But my hope in all these things is that you will grow closer to God as you pray first because prayer precedes the next powerful move of God. And if we're talking about what's next for God's church, what's next for your life, what's next for your family, we got to start with what's first. And before we can go to what's next, as we are in this teaching series, we have to begin with what's first. And what's first is always Jesus. Spending time in his presence, spending time in his word, spending time getting to know him better, walking with him, and working with him. Pray first, church. Pray first. Right on? Right on. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we've been talking about prayer, but it's so good just to be able to pray together as a church. We're one church gathered together, and, and today we're gathered together in different spaces. Some are worshiping at home. Some are worshiping in a, in a chapel or in an auditorium, but God, together we're one church worshiping you under the name of Jesus Christ, and we, we lift you up, Jesus. We say that you're first. And we want to pray first because you're our first love. And before we go get busy with working for you, we want to walk with you. We want to know your voice. We want to know your presence. We want to experience your power personally. We know that we can't give to others what we haven't tasted ourselves. We, we, we can't lead others anywhere that we're not willing to go. And so, God, there's no, no greater gift we can give to someone else than our personal relationship with you. So, God, I pray that today would be a convicting day for some. And as, as, we're, as we're praying right now, heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's some of you that are, that are hearing this message right now, and this is a day of conviction because you've been busy, maybe even busy for God, doing a lot of important and good things in your life, but you have neglected the most important love in your life, the first love, and that's your love with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today to come on home and to, to let God welcome you home into his presence, to spend time praying with him this week in ways that you haven't in the, the last week to get alone with him, set a time, set a meeting. It might be on your commute, it might be the first thing in the morning, it might be the last thing you do at the end of the day, but don't let a single day pass by without spending time alone with him. Father, some are evaluating right now how they can change their, their lifestyle, change their schedule so they can make you a bigger priority. I pray that God, they'd follow through. And I pray, Jesus, that they would put you first. Because, God, if we're going to talk about what's next, we, we can't go there until we talk about what's first. And, Jesus, you're always first. We lift you up. We thank you, Jesus, that you were lifted up on a cross. You died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We thank you for that amazing gospel message that, Jesus, we have no hope without you. We thank you. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you today. And it's in your powerful name we pray. And everyone say, amen. Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. 
You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.
praise forever. You.